Welcome to the International Collective of Female Cinematographers podcast, where every week we will be talking to a different cinematographer and listening through their stories as they navigate the filmmaking world, sharing secrets and experiences to empower our community. The ICFC is a collective of professional female cinematographers from around the world who provide each other with community support and industry advocacy. We are your hosts, Emilia and Akina. Today, we're so excited to welcome Veronica Bauza. We'll be discussing Veronica's journey from electrician to cinematographer, film school and graduating during the pandemic, the road to getting representation and work-life balance. Okay, so first question off the bat, how did you start out as a filmmaker and how did you become a DP from that? Got to start with the hard ones, right? Of so- course. My name, <laughs> so my name is Veronica Boza, and I'm an LA native. And my parents are both architects. So I grew up in a really creative household, and everyone can draw like really well. And I felt like I never really could draw. And so over the years, I got really into photography and filmmaking. So I decided to to kind of like take a chance and go to film school. And I ended up going to film school in Chicago, um, which was such a great change of pace growing up in LA. Even though it's like raining a lot right now, it was really eye-opening to move to a city that had weather, that had just a different mentality. You, I got to meet more people with this Midwestern hospitality, which was super warming. And I thought it really helped just with growing up. Cool. Um, so your bio was talking about how you actually came up as an electrician, right? Um, came into yes. that's really unusual, um, for women. I like a lot of us who come in, up through, um, more of the trades, not going to film school, uh, usually it's camera. So can you talk a little bit about that? No, definitely. Um, so when I was at film school at DePaul in Chicago, I got really into doing electric work and gaffing because I, I ultimately wanted to shoot, but I thought I needed to get better at lighting. So I ended up just crewing for all my friends because you're totally right. Most of my friends end up becoming camera assistants and I ended up just getting like a ton of work. And at the time, a lot of my friends were getting in the union because when mm-hmm. you're not in LA or New York and it's more of a smaller city, you know, they tend to hire the DP and all the main crew from LA or New York, but all of the below the line tend to be from the local city. So mm-hmm. at the time, Chicago Fire was kind of just starting, like that Dick Wolf empire of madness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a few friends that were working on the show and they invited me out and it was it seemed kind of crazy because I was in my senior year of undergrad day playing on big shows and I got to really learn the ropes and kind of learn how just being a set electrician, the workflow from working with the riggers to just being on set. And it's kind of funny because I feel like when I'm doing low budgets, you tend to do so much more <laughs> compared yeah. to like when you actually have the crew and the manpower and you can really just focus on getting better 
at lighting and just working under a gaffer. So I was really fortunate at the time to be able to work as a set electrician for like two and a half years, just going from TV shows to movies and just kind of whatever came into Chicago, I was able to day play. So um, how did you go from that to becoming a DP? Because you could have just crewed your way through life. I mean, a lot of people make a good living and are happy being uh, gaffers. Um, so what, what was the motivation to uh, become a DP specifically from there? So funny enough, I didn't I really thought I was going to just move up as a gaffer. Like I, I really mm. loved being a set electrician and just kind of being like the number one guy on set where mm. you would just kind of set up everything. But I ended up working on a feature and uh, a DP from LA came out and she was like, oh, you know, you want to work in camera. Like if you want to, if you want to be a DP, like you should work in camera and you can be my camera PA and I can kind of help train you. So she kind of persuaded me. So I kind of, I decided to stop doing set lighting and I ended up jumping down to camera PA. Mm -hmm. And I worked on this movie as a camera PA and it was, it was fun and it was exciting. And it's such a different workflow from when you are working as a, a grip or just electrician like you're working as a team whereas like when you're working as a camera assistant it feels very linear of like you have your mm -hmm. one boss who has their boss and it's more you're trying to just build that relationship with that person but and it ended up after i camera pa'd i decided to go back to la i thought you know i was kind of tired of chicago winters and i kind of needed to <laughs> reset and I think just after that experience, since I had a great time working in camera, um, I got kind of persuaded to kind of go back to LA, work in 600 and kind of go up through the camera department. So when I got to LA, I got a camera PA job on like a Netflix show and I was working as a utility and camera PA is not a real job. And mm -hmm. the union found out and I ended up getting all my days flipped. So I got in the union like mm -hmm. right away, which never really happens. And it was kind of an mm -hmm. ordeal with production. So highly not recommended of like how to get in the union that way. Mm -hmm. But um, I was really fortunate. And then from there, I just kind of kept assisting and I kind of lost track of the goal. And I think mm -hmm. that happens to a lot of us when we start making money and we start kind of building relationships with people because as a freelancer you end up just getting called by like your go-to five six ten people yeah and since you really enjoy working with them you kind of just kind of keep saying yes and i kept seeing the years go by mm -hmm. and then just after years of assisting i was like oh my god holy shit <laughs> i've been doing this now for like in total 10 years of just set lighting and camera assisting and I got invited to like the ASC awards and I just didn't feel like I belonged like in a way of like even though I've been in the industry and I've been working I really haven't been creating my own stuff like I definitely I was able to shoot a few mis music videos and like small <laughs> projects along the way but I kind of lost sight of the goal so that's why I decided like that night to apply to AFI. So I feel like even now I feel like I'm playing catch up 
even though I've been doing this for quite a while. Can you talk about the benefits of film school? Uh, I think film school is a um, really hotly debated topic when it comes to how to make your way into the industry with um, a lot of people really against it or feeling like it's not the only way, like why spend all that money and other people, you know, saying like it is actually beneficial and it is a good way to um, up your, you know, level up and up your skills. What's your take on that? And like, what did you get out of it specifically? So I think going to film school for undergrad is just a great way to build a network because I think just going out of high school and becoming a an adult more or less, like you kind of need a sense of community if you want to mm -hmm. build a foundation in this industry. So like my film school is okay. And like I did like learn the basics, but pretty much everything I know from today is just from working on set mm -hmm. and making friends and learning from those people and so forth. So I think going to film school initially is a great way to just kind of get into the industry and kind of just build your foundation. But I will say get going to AFI or getting your master's is a great way to really hone in what position you want to do. So, um, I mean, it definitely financially very painful, um, but I found AFI was my way to transition to solely DPing. And I'm not all grad programs allow you to really focus on a specific field. Um, and I thought that's what was really special about AFI. And I think AFI has that that history and that background of so many amazing directors and DPs and producers. So, you know, I think if you have the money and I think if you have the resources to take care of yourself, because I think the hardest thing is that, yes, you've paid that tuition, but how are you taking care of yourself through the day to day? You know, because it's like, mm -hmm. you're not making money for those two yeah. years. And it's not like you're going to go be taking jobs because now you're going to put everything into it. So I think the hardest thing is more finding a way to kind of keep going mm -hmm. and live so below your means that you can kind of make this dream a reality. Was there a moment where you decided to just stop crewing? You know, like, did, did, was there overlap where you where people were like, oh, will you gaffer me? And then you were like, no, I only DP now. Yeah. Um, it's funny because so during my time at AFI, like I definitely had moments like everyone where you just are like, holy shit, I don't have any money. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I, I kind of need a crew or something. And I had a lot of my old bosses or my old collaborators, they kind of just stopped hiring me and they were like, oh, you're a DP now. Mm -hmm. And it was like such a brutal reality to be like, okay, I made a decision and I can't go back. Like there's obviously friends of mine that would let me day play on shows, but most people were like, you're a DP now. So <laughs> I ended up having to go back to lighting and I ended up just gaffing some commercials and just some small things to kind of pay the bills. And mm -hmm. especially like I ended my AFI career in 2020 which was like a disaster. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. <laughs> so like I, 
you know, you go into AFI, you're like, all right, first year, it's going to suck, but I'm going to become a better DP. Mm -hmm. Second year, I'm going to become slightly better and I'm going to make two films, which is like one's on 35 and then the other one's your thesis. And when the pandemic hit, I only had one project. Like I only had like my visual essay and I was like, well, no one else is working either. So I ended up just crewing and just doing shorts and just trying to build momentum to Mm -hmm. whenever I could shoot this thesis film that kept dragging, like I'm just going to kind of keep keeping my head above water. But um, going back to your point, there was a point more into last year where I, I really started saying no to crewing. And yeah. it's it's been hard um, just because you don't know where the next job is coming from. And I think the awesome thing with crewing is you get to build your network and you get to practice because every time you're shooting is another opportunity for you to make something to kind of build your portfolio. But the cool mm-hmm. thing is like when you're operating or you're gaffing, like you get to help another DP, you get to meet all these new producers and all these other new crew members. So I think there's kind of that fine line of saying no to stop crewing, mm-hmm. to really focus on DPing. I think it's more of a mindset. And I think last year was kind of that first year where I was able to, I was getting enough DP work to be able to be really selective for the projects I crewed on. And mm-hmm. for those projects, it would be like, all right, homie needs an operator. Like, I got you. Like, mm-hmm. we're coming out, I'll help mm-hmm. you. Or it's like, hey, you know, I've been really interested in this DP. I love their work. Like, I'm down to do the camera. I'm down to learn and so forth. So I think it's, you kind of need this open mentality to be able to still crew, but, you know, figure out your own journey because it's so easy to get sidetracked. And pigeonholed, right? Like if you meet producers that are like, oh, I've only seen you gaffer, you know, you're a gaffer. Yeah, no, but I mean, I think that's why it's super important to build your your kind of core and like, hey, I'm a DP. These are Mm -hmm. the things I do and these are the things I want to do and kind of being comfortable in your DP role to then be able to go crew. Because I think even now, like when I crew, a lot of people know me now as a DP, so mm-hmm. it's not as bad, but I totally get it. Cause like when I was 2020, like jumping out of film school, I could not break the mold. I'm like, I could do other things. Like I, yeah. I can shoot, I can, I can do more than pulling focus. I can do more than, but it's, you really got to surround yourself with other collaborators who are, will be there in the long run and that will push you to kind of keep going for your dreams. Cause I found like I would help out people who really only saw me as a gapper. And then I would mm-hmm. help out friends who were like, no, like you're a DP, like, please don't say yes again. Like I mm-hmm. got you financially for this one, but you kind of need to step back and like, we can talk, but you need to go do your own stuff. So mm-hmm. it's, I feel like it's a never ending thing that every filmmaker and every creative kind of goes through and it's a lot of times something that we struggle with internally and like you just you go on social media and you're like oh my god like how are all these people working like it's so Mm -hmm. slow like and 
I, it's funny, I've been experiencing a lot. Like people are like, oh my God, you're super busy. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I work in narrative. And narrative is something where you can shoot 10 projects and you have no idea when they're going to come out. Yeah. And then yeah. like sometimes they all come out at the same time and people are like, wow, that's like crazy. And you're like, no, no, no. This was like four years ago. This was two years ago. <laughs> that was like a week ago. Like, that's not fair. So I think, I don't know. I try to laugh about it because at times it can be so ridiculous. Need to hire a cinematographer? Well, look no further than the ICFC's member online database. We boast over 300 highly qualified cinematographers for all your filmmaking needs. Visit our site now and find your next superstar collaborator at icfcfilm.com. Yeah, talk a little bit more about, yeah, you're in, you, you graduating the pandemic. That's kind of like be a very specific challenge. I know that um, the interruption of that, you talked a little bit about it, but like the interruption of your education that way, uh, how did it affect your career or affect you in particular? Because like, like even your thesis dragging on that, that's going to get put you in like a really weird state of limbo. Yeah, no, I think it when it all happened, um, I think the comforting thing is that we we were all in this together. Like mm-hmm. the world was shut down. Everyone was stuck on Zoom playing games and like just trying to get by. But I think the biggest thing is I didn't know how to move forward in my career because mm-hmm. like you meet a lot of DPs and they tell you like, oh, you're going to do these things and then you're going to do all these free shorts. And then the world shut down. And I was like, oh, my God, I gave up a career that made money. And now I'm trying to figure out how to build momentum again. Mm -hmm. So I ended up just really working on anything and everything that I can get my hands on. And it was it was tough. It definitely was a tough year because like just going back to that thesis, like we were supposed to shoot in 2020 and then we tried again in December 2020 and like we were loading the trucks at Manor House and at Sinalise and then they shut us down and like Uh. that felt like another blow and that wasn't like the only project I felt like I had so many projects that year that just kept starting and then stopping and I think especially when you're early out in your career every time you're working you're pulling favors like you're like Mm -hmm. hey like will you come out would you mm-hmm. help me out? Or like, you're talking to a rental house, you're like, hey, like, I don't have any money. Like, can you give me this favor? And I think over the last few years, like asking for these favors, it does a lot. And I think I just, I feel bad. I can't ask my friends to like keep coming out for certain things, but it's like you want the best product. So, and it's it's funny, even going right now where it's like a little slow, you kind of get into your head of like, what am I doing next? Like, am I, do people still remember me? Like, what do you go into your own headspace? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely a similar mindset of the ups and downs of being a freelancer. And you really just need to have a core group of people around you that can like kind of slap you in the face and be like, you're fine. You got this move forward. So I think because the pandemic really 
it happened to all of us, I think, just as a collective. I think we were all kind of forced to grow together. Like, I don't think you could sit at home and complain because we all were going through it. Luckily, that thesis film had a bit of a happy ending, right? You ended up going to Sundance with it. Is that right? I did. It was. um, So we ended up shooting it in March 21 and then it finished in 22. So Mm -hmm. like it was a film that I swear my parents thought it was never going to get done. Like pretty much everyone around me. I've been telling them about this film that I was like, oh, it's like really good. But, you know, it it's taking forever to get done because we ended up getting the BFX donated, which was awesome. But then they took a year to do the VFX. Um, But getting into Sundance was like a very surreal experience. And it's kind of funny because I felt like because it took me so long to make this movie, I felt like I cheated in a way because usually when you're making your thesis, like you're still in school. Whereas like I was able to have an additional year of like outside experience like another year of DPing other projects to then going mm. back into this project and to really give it everything I got, mm-hmm. you know? So I think taking it to Sundance um, was just kind of the cherry on top. Like I think finishing the film was the ultimate dream. And then that was really the cherry on top. That's awesome. Um, yeah, the last time we talked about that um, at one of the ICFC events, you mentioned that it was also your first time at Sundance. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and what that was like? Yeah, no. Sundance is crazy. <laughs> um, Sundance is like a Coachella of film and just like a madness <laughs> of just all these people from all different avenues all on like one strip in Park City, Main Street. Mm. And I think... The best thing about it is you really don't need a film to go there. And I think just over the years, there's always been this Mm. like stigma in my head that was like, well, whenever I get a movie in Sundance, like I'm going to go and just be there. I ran to so many people who did not have a film in Sundance. And it's just an open networking experience with all of the panels, all of the houses that you can go in for free. You know, if you do want to see a movie, you can just pay for a movie. But a lot of things that are happening, you don't need to have a movie in the festival. I think the festival is a reason to kind of go to this city and this city is celebrating filmmaking. So I ran into a lot of filmmakers from my past, just people coming for the weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it just opened up that that feeling like. I need to do something to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. I think that happens a lot in just like, oh, like, how am I building my career? Like, no, no, no. Like, you can just go to South by and you can go as a DP and you can go network yourself and you never know who you're going to meet. You know, it's like one little conversation with a director or a producer or an agent like is could be like the next thing for you. And it's when you're going to those types of festivals, it's more of you're kind of planting the seed for a future relationship. Because a lot mm-hmm. of times, like, you know, just like, I went to Sundance and now I got a future. Like mm-hmm. that happens like here and there. It's more just meeting people and kind of re building a relationship with. And it's 
it was really beautiful. I definitely was really broke after because it was really expensive. <laughs> so like definitely like figure out funding and like figure out housing. If you can figure out housing, you're good. Um, and I, I literally told like all my friends, like, just go and just put your name out there and you'll mm-hmm. be surprised what you can get out of the festival. B. Cindy is a woman in Latina-owned boutique camera rental house based in Los Angeles. They are passionate about the nuanced design that goes into visual storytelling and as such are committed to supporting filmmakers tell their stories with the best tools available. Plus, for busy cinematographer or camera crew parents, they also offer childcare services during prep. So when you're looking for camera rentals for your next project, check out their extensive repertoire of optics and cameras at www.bcine.com or write to rentals at bcine.com for general inquiries. So you're out of film school. What have you been up to? What have, what's been your, uh, your life like or your career like since you've been out of film school and since the pandemic? <laughs> um, you know, I think since AFI, it's been a lot of short films. And my goal as a DP is I really, I want to shoot narratives and I want to live in that narrative space um, so I've spent the last few years shooting a ton of short films and building contacts. And um, I shot a pilot last year for Warner Media, and mm-hmm. I shot my first feature at the end of last year for a studio. And cool. it's honestly like it's a slow game for me. Mm-hmm. It's trying to find collaborators and projects that I really can connect to and that I can see the potential to really build off the projects and do something with. Because I think I rather spend my energy doing like six, seven shorts or like two features a year, but they're projects I really believe in. But it's like, how do you set that up? Like, what are the relationships you need to do that? So I think in these Mm -hmm. last few years, I've been just trying to connect more with other like-minded filmmakers and doing like small programs just to meet other producers and to kind of open my network but it's it's up and down it's up and down i think the biggest thing is like i'm still going and i'm still learning and still working on projects okay let's put it out there in the universe what would your dream project be like the thing that you're just like yes 100 percent. if you had any choice of anything tv movies anything what would it be and why Ooh, this is fun this is fun um i would love to shoot like an epic sci-fi movie or just like an epic tv show mm. i it's funny i think just starting out i've shot a lot of i call them sad girl sad movies where the character is sad and they sit in bedrooms and they never look at camera. And I would love to make movies that like my family and friends would actually watch. And there's something so special with doing something like kind of like going back to my thesis where it's like a very Mm -hmm. world building story. It had a lot of VFX, some stage work, you know, Mm -hmm. it kind of samples a lot of different styles and Mm -hmm. it kind of jumps genres but it feels timeless so i think if i could you know disney marvel like you know hello i'm available (laughs) like i would love to do something in that kind of epic scale and then there's also me like i love comedies like i Mm -hmm. think a good comedy can be overrated 
Um, mm-hmm. So if I had a career kind of like Lawrence Shear, where he's like, yeah. he shot The Hangover, he shot Due Date, and then he shot The Joker. So it's like <laughs> you're jumping genres, but mm-hmm. every job is so fulfilling and it's so creative and it's so different. So that's kind of what draws me to a lot of my projects is mm-hmm. jumping genres and just really connecting with the collaborator. But yeah, if I could do like a Close Encounters type of movie, like I'm available. <laughs> cool. Uh, what is one piece of advice? Sorry, what is one piece of advice that you wish you had when you were starting out? One piece of advice I wish I had for starting out. Uh, I know, I'm like, there's so many steps. Um, I mean, there's one saying I feel like I always say, and anyone who works on set with me, is work smart, not hard. I do say that Mm -hmm. a lot. Like, you know, kind of take the time to really enjoy yourself, enjoy your life. And then... For the projects you're really working on like devote as much time as it really needs but not all your time um because i i it's funny i like i go back through the years like just looking through photos and i'm like man i like always worked i didn't go on like little vacations i didn't see my family and my friends and it's like if you can find a way to make that balance i think your life would be so much more fulfilling and I know for myself, like I procrastinate. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to that work smart, not hard. Sometimes it's better to work for an hour than to work for four hours on something, especially like in the world of shooting where you're doing all this prep work and you're only getting paid for a few days or weeks or months for prep. Yeah. But you tend to do a lot of prep by yourself. Um Figuring out a schedule so you're not working every single hour of the day. Um, Like I try to like start working at 10 and end around six, unless Mm -hmm. like the job is happening tomorrow or in the next week or something really fell apart. Um, So I definitely, I wish I could tell my younger self that to kind of set limits on where work stands and where life stands. Just cause like as a freelancer, it can really take up your entire life. And then you're like, oh my God, I have no hobbies. (laughs) I have no other life skills. (laughs) Well, do you have any hobbies now? Or anything you do that is not cinematography? Um, Yeah, I mean, I got a couple. I mean, I definitely, running has become a big thing since the pandemic for me. Mine is Mm -hmm. like, it's really rainy right now. Um, But I recently... um, I joined the board of a charity. Um, mm. It's called uh, Clock Shop, mm. and it helps with Los Angeles parks. So mm. we're an organization that kind of helps promoting building new parks and building activities in parks. So like we have a kite event that's happening later this year, mm. and we have we try to bring local artists to the parks just to show exhibits or mm. to do like photography. It's just more to kind of bring the community back to parks um, mm. and get you off your phone. 
<laughs> Love what we've been focusing on in this interview? What about the angle we've been taking? Have you found it illuminating? Help us power our community by going to icscfilm.com friends and making a donation today. We're an all-volunteer group and your support will help us keep our website rolling, our events lit, and our podcast honey. Okay, maybe the last one's free, but we do need your help for everything else. And don't forget to subscribe. Yeah, I want to kind of touch up a little bit about this. Um, what's your networking game? Like really break it down for people who are trying to like, you know, get up there. And then also, can you talk a little bit about representation? Because you're rep, you've got an agency, right? Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so the first one, networking game. Um, it's a lot. Um, I just from like early on in my career, I've definitely made it apparent to network as much as I can and as much as you can mentally handle because it's a lot. Small talking, it sucks. Yeah. Um, but I think you, if you like, can find, find... Did you find events to go to? Or did you, you know, like you're going to every party, you're going to every event that you can go to? Um, I think it's, I think it's kind of a mix. I think now I kind of, I get invited to things, but... I think starting out, like anytime I, I heard of an event, I would try to make an appearance and I would try to meet one or two people. And I found with this, you know, if you keep doing this, the room becomes smaller and you end mm. up knowing so many people and you kind of forget about people and then you meet them again. But I think the big thing is like when you go to these networking events, you know, just be normal like a lot of times like yes you're looking for a job but i think the big thing with networking is just building a relationship with someone mm -hmm. you know like figuring out if, what kind of coffee they like figuring out like what type of friendship you're kind of looking for so i think for me like when i'm going to these networking events i try to start up a conversation you know learn about kind of what they're doing what type of companies they're working for, what kind of things. And I think when you build those small talking skills, it becomes a lot easier and you become a lot more confident in your skills to be able to go into a room when you don't know anyone and no. make a comfortable conversation. So like, just like going to Senegal uh, or NAB, like it's really good to go to these events because it's like one you get to go make friends with companies that are trying mm -hmm. to help you out and they're trying to build gear for you so I always loved going like way before I started shooting to these events and just go meet the reps and kind of see what they have going on and then you find like you run into a lot of the same people going to these events and just grabbing a beer with some of these people the world really does become a lot smaller. And I think mm -hmm. just because I've been able to network over the years, I've grown a lot of confidence in small talking and just generally communicating. And I think just as a DP, like, honestly, that's like half the job. Like yeah. most of the jobs, yeah. sometimes besides like, sometimes I wish I could just pan and tilt and more than not, I feel like I'm more of a therapist or I'm yeah. more of a meaty here. So yeah. I think small talking and networking 
is the best starting ground to becoming a better communicator and a better DP. So I, I do try to recommend just like with a lot of like upcoming DPs, like go to events that aren't just camera events. Because I think when you go to camera events, it's great because it's so comfortable. Like, you know, this world, you know, these people. Yeah. But if you go to something like Sundance, you know, you don't know anyone. And it's a lot of producers and directors talking nonsense. But I think if you can find ways to find commonalities with people or even just make them laugh, Mm -hmm. you will be one step closer to building a stronger network and getting a job. And then going to your second question, I got wrapped last year. God, I don't know what yours. Yeah, I got (laughs) wrapped at the beginning of last year. And so they, they approached me. Like going back to 21, I got a few different emails and calls from agents and it's just Mm -hmm. weird. They're like, hey, like we like your work. Can we talk? And you're like, oh, this is like dating. So this agency, they reached out to me. Um, You know, they're pretty well known. I had dinner with them and they wanted to sign me on the table. And I was like, oh, that's a lot. Uh, So I said no, Um, just because I wanted to do my research. And I think it's super important to talk to the other DPs who are at that agency and see Mm -hmm. how it's going for them. Like, even if they're not necessarily in narratives or in commercials or doing what you're doing, like just seeing how they flow, because every agency is really different. Like Mm -hmm. some agencies, like you really are linked up with one person. And Mm -hmm. then other agencies, you're linked up with a group of people. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you have your main agent, but depending on department, they kind of shift you around. Mm -hmm. And I think the worst thing would be to just get signed and just live on a roster. So I think kind of need to know like where you are in your career and where you want to go, regardless of what the agency is telling you. Because they're going to like, they're going to talk you up. You're going to, they're going to call you hot shit. And you're like, okay, cool. Calm down. Um, <laughs> I'm still figuring out what's happening, but it ended up, they reached out again at the beginning of last year. And I thought about it. And I think my big thing with them was like, Hey, like I'm still an up and coming DP. I shoot a lot of narrative and I need to have that flexibility to go do freebies and not had 10% taken from freebies because like I'm losing money like yeah so it's having an open relationship with your agent and being able to grow with someone because that was a big thing for me Mm -hmm. I wanted someone like I don't need to be at the best of the best agency Mm -hmm. I just need to be with someone that one believes in me two can kind of see the potential and understand the ups and downs of the industry. Mm-hmm. And three, like someone I can just kind of talk to um, <laughs> with like, hey, like I did all these interviews and they went with someone else, like what's happening? And just mm-hmm. learning that mental struggle and mm-hmm. that internal growth. So, I mean, I think everyone has their own trajectory, but those are kind of my like staples and kind of figuring out. And since then, it's it's been really good. I think 
they put me up for things which um have really surprised me and it's exciting just opening my network to a group of different people and like say for example like i didn't get the job like i got to meet this whole room of producers or -hmm. like this new director and so forth so it's definitely been a lot of new skill sets going Mm -hmm. from like a really low budget friend calls we shoot a movie Mm -hmm. and then we kind of just struggle to find crew to now like all right I get called for a movie and then I read the movie and then I say yes and then I have an interview with the director and then I have an interview with the producer mm-hmm. or like another department. So you're going through multiple vetting processes. So it's it's fun. That's a lot. <laughs> I think that's great advice though to like yeah. really know what you want and you know i think that a lot of dps starting out they don't have a like a guidebook to navigate those those things because honestly honestly, like you know i don't think you need to be signed right off the bat i think Mm -hmm. you know whenever they come to you they come to you awesome like Mm -hmm. this is your career and you're the one kind of making the playbook and it shouldn't be determined off like, oh, I'm never going to do that big feature or I'm never going to do that big project because I don't have an agent. You're going to be the one that kind of determines it. And it's going to be your networking, your films that you've done that are going to put you at the table. Um, so I think what is great about them is like helping negotiate because I'm pretty bad at it. Usually <laughs> when someone's like, oh, you want to work with me? I'm like, oh, my God, like, I would love to work with you. And I'll just accept any payment. And they're like, no, don't do that. <laughs> you have to ask for more money. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'll take anything. <laughs> yep. I'll take anything. And they're like, uh, no, no. I'm like, okay, my bad. We'll ask for more money. <laughs> I think it's like when you come from like shooting like really low budget short films. Yeah. A big tendency is you put yourself less. You yeah. You're like. Yes. Like you have money for a camera package and you have money for lighting gear and you have money for the crew and you have money for color. Mm -hmm. Then you can buy me. Yeah. And then like I've definitely had projects where like me and a group are making like the same thing. And like I (laughs) steady cam on. Like I need more money. And I'm like, please stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've definitely been there negotiating more for my crew and taking out of my salary yeah that's part yeah. of course yeah so i think it's honestly the skills you learn from just being in film school i think that first year at afi it was really rough like figuring out like ooh, what am i eating today or like mm-hmm. don't forget to eat or like this is how much you're going to spend on groceries and i feel like mm-hmm. i've taken those lessons and then brought them to the real world and mm-hmm. it's like yeah cool i make money okay let's save that and let's put it in my raw they're like let's be an adult and like actually take care of myself and yeah. then go buy or then you know so you're talking <laughs> yeah no i think just as a freelancer it's not talked about a lot about personal yeah finance it's yeah. just more like all right, I will do big work. They'll pay me money and then I'll have more money and then I'll be happy. And you're like, 
cool. That didn't happen. So <laughs> how do I actually like save for retirement? Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Right. Or yeah. like you're really, really busy for a while and then for like three months, nothing happens and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> What's yeah. 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 No, that's that. <laughs> I feel like that happens all the time with freelancing is like you go from being so busy, like you have mm-hmm. no sense of time and day to then you're like counting the hours on the clock. Yeah. And then just like questioning everything like, does anyone remember me or like, is anyone else working? And then yeah. you see the same people at the same networking events and you're like, oh, you're not working either. You're like, OK, cool. I mean, like bad for both of us, but <laughs> yeah, 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 we're all unemployed together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. I have a curious question. Um, what's your desert island lighting unit? Like, what's your favorite light to use? That's a good question. You know, um, I it's changed over the years. Mm -hmm. It really has. Because like the Lico was my ride and die forever. Mm -hmm. And then um, just because like I feel like I'm jumping more to like fast paced things. And um, Mm -hmm. I really enjoy the Vortex, the Cream Source Vortex. Yeah. It has more punch than the sky panel. Mm. And when I'm doing like one man band type of things, like mm-hmm. I really love and I own like a six by half grid and full grid, like just having that and like my six by, I can mm. really do a lot. Yeah. So I think the answer changes a lot, um, you know, but I would say that Lico. It was it was riding with me for like a long time, <laughs> and like I definitely have the burn marks to like say like it's been with me. <laughs> yeah, like you like you go home for like the holidays and you have all these burn marks on your arm, and your parents yeah. are like, "What's happening?" And I'm like, yeah. "I'm just not qualified when I'm touching things. I'm not paying attention, and <laughs> it hurts." Yeah, I have one yeah, more no, question. Yeah, that was an absolute pleasure. One more question. One more question. (laughs) Our last question (laughs) before we let you go. I swear it's a fun one. Okay, so it's a three-parter. So what is your favorite film, your comfort film, and the film that has influenced you or your cinematography the most and why? Go back to, like, the other questions. Um... (laughs) So favorite film first. Favorite film Definitely Close Encounters. Like, I'm a sucker for kind of Spielberg OG. Um, just kind of that film nostalgic type of feel. And I don't know. I think if you look back at the blocking and kind of that sense of realism, like, it it holds up um, a lot. What was number two? What's your comfort film? Like the film, like when you're feeling like really crappy and sick and like cup of tea and just it'll make you feel or warm and fuzzy and just better. I mean, cup of tea, it's kind of a split. It's kind of a split because like I do really love like Italian mafia, like Goodfellas, which is not Mm -hmm. like comfort. Like it's it's comforting to me. I like I enjoy watching it. Yeah, but like, I think even like nostalgic, like, uh, just growing up watching 
Star Wars or Harry Potter or just kind of watching films that I used to see on ABC Family or mm. just on television. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are the films I kind of go back to. And it's it's something where like you would just turn on the TV and they're always on like like mm-hmm. a Lord of the Rings or whatever. And they always just felt like regardless of when you started, you can always kind of jump in. Mm-hmm. and just get re-inspired again so i think any of those type of like blockbuster films um like it's funny because i i was just playing the new harry potter video game mm-hmm. and it just made me like remember like the last 10 years of harry potter and like the weird ups and downs um mm-hmm. and I think the final question is, what was it, inspiration or? What just um, has influenced your cinematography or just is like the thing you keep coming back to as cinematographer in like your craft, I guess. Uh, ooh, there's a lot of good ones in this one. Um, I definitely, I go back to uh, Moonlight a lot. And I go back to Last Black Man in San Francisco Mm -hmm. um, just because of some of the recent projects I've been doing that are so kind of subjective and kind of single character. But I think just going more, just more back, going back to like a general sense, I always loved um, Assassination of Jesse James. that cinematography has always kind of striked an eye with me and it felt things that felt natural i questioned so much of like these weird double shadows but you Mm -hmm. love it and it's exciting (laughs) and it's different um so yeah no i think that and like no um old eh, old country no was it no country for old men it's what is it it's almost nope. one no thing. No yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's something I've I've looked at, but it's definitely changing. And I think that's why I love jumping genres, because I get to dive deeper into different work that mm-hmm. I didn't realize really inspired me. Or it's like things I've watched years ago and mm-hmm. then I go back to it. I'm like, oh my God, this is this is perfect. Like mm-hmm. I did um I did a movie about bowling. A while ago mm. and you know obviously you're thinking like big lebowski and kingpin but the funny thing enough like the movies that we thought of were there will be blood mm. and stepbrothers and like anchorman <laughs> um it was like how do we make something so funny still feel so cinematic when it comes to these questions, my answers change all the time. It depends on like mm-hmm. what time of day and what movies I recently watched or done. So, yeah. so where can we find you? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, any other social media? Uh, so you can find me at Veronica.boza, V-O-U-Z-A on Instagram. Um, you can check out my website, which is myname.com. And yeah, no, feel free to send me a message, DM me. I like coffee. I like tacos. I love talking about film. And I love to be inspired by other filmmakers. So I think 
the more we do this, the more the community feels a lot smaller. Awesome. Thank you so much, Veronica. We really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thank you, guys. It was such a pleasure. Um, Veronica's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she's so easy to talk to and she's so, she's so awesome. She's so nice and she's so talented, but she's also just super down to earth. Yeah. I think like the question you asked about the representation was really important. was really interesting. I really liked her take on it, which was just like, slow down, kind of take a breath see if these are the right people for you because i think a lot of people who don't have representation are sometimes hey and myself included yeah you get a little hungry for it yes there are some people who are really hungry for it and then they're just like yes oh yes okay take it on you know i've heard some stories of like people who are just like like she said like you're on a roster but like worse than that like just being sent projects that are not at all in the realm of what you do you know yeah yeah so i think her having you know just the foresight to be like okay let's pause let's think about it and see if this is actually right for me and not just like representation but like these people and like then that coming back to her and like her being in a place where she can say yes and she feels like they'll do something for her i think that's actually a really really good perspective Mm -hmm. that we should keep in mind i feel because yeah i there have been points in my life that had i been in that table i would have said absolutely yes that moment and not thought about it and i think it's really important to just slow down and think about things in general you know what it comes down to it's that like we gotta remember our worth at the end of it you know yeah it's Mm -hmm. like we're struggling in a not struggling but like we're working in an industry that's so competitive and everyone's trying to just break through and make it something you know and i think that the tendency to be like oh well you're offering me something so i'm going to take that because that that gives me a leg up or that that gives me something but it's like we have to take back it you know take it back and think about it and be like you know what this is we bring the talent forward or we bring a lot of things to the table right yeah. and so we have to have self-worth in that way and shop around and be like what's the best fit for me right it's not just yeah. oh i want this so bad i feel that way about like you know a lot of people give the advice about joining the union the same way you yeah. know joining mm-hmm. the union at the time that is right for you when mm-hmm. it fits you not just joining the union because you know, you got your days and now pay this and do this, right? Nothing against Jane yeah. Union, obviously, you know? No, no. Yeah, no, I think I think that's absolutely right. I think, and I think her take on it being like, it is a partnership, it is like dating, you know? And it's the same, it's like anything really in this industry. When you go interview, when you take on a job, it's not just, oh, they are hiring you, you're also choosing to work with them. So like that should be on equal footing and yeah, partnership, I think. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for listening today. Please follow us on Instagram at the ICFC. You can also reach us by writing to ICFC podcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced by Emilia Mendieta Cordova, Fabian Hausepian, Akina Van Develdi, Senda Bonet, and Barbie Lung. 